podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. When you get a ticket for not wearing your seatbelt, it comes from the police. And from your mother. And your best friend. And your family. We want you to buckle up every trip, every time. Three out of four people ejected from a vehicle in a crash will die. If you won't do it for yourself, do it for us. We like having you around. Click it or ticket. A message from the Michigan Office of Highway Safety Planning. When you get a ticket for not wearing your seatbelt, it comes from the police. And from your mother. And your best friend. And your family. We want you to buckle up every trip, every time. Three out of four people ejected from a vehicle in a crash will die. If you won't do it for yourself, do it for us. We like having you around. Click it or ticket. A message from the Michigan Office of Highway Safety Planning. And welcome to the Premier League Nightclub Podcast. My name is Damon, and with me I have Woody. And Woody, it's not just you today. We, I do have someone to my right who has <laughs> finally returned. Sam, how are you? How was your trip? Tell us a little bit about it. Oh, it was a good trip, boys. <clears throat> Been away for about four four weeks altogether. Yeah, I think oh, pretty away. much the whole of the month, December. Yeah, yeah, all of December I was away for, and then. So I got back to Australia on the 23rd mm-hmm. of December and then went away down the beach for a week and now I'm back and ready to uh, to get back to get stuck back into it. So uh, I'm glad you invited me back. Yeah, no, of course. Welcome yeah. back <laughs> anytime. And uh, Woody, obviously today is your last episode for about three weeks, if yeah, I'm correct. Yeah, hopefully two if all goes well. But um, nonetheless, yeah, it'd be definitely two or three. Heading off to Europe with the fam, so um, I think I said last week we're gonna. My dad and I um, are getting tickets to the Tottenham Liverpool game. Yep, yep. That's actually like next round now. Can you? It believe is. It? I know it's nuts. Yeah. So it's the last game of next round. So I'm pretty keen. Um, that should be unreal. I think that game's at an absolute horrific time in Australia. The old four thirty or three thirty yeah. game. Yeah. So it's hard. It's hard. I, I can't. I, you might have to give us a first hand experience of how that was <laughs> next week. But yeah, other than that, obviously a few things. Uh, Big happen on New Year's Day. It's the New Year. First podcast of the year. So, Happy New Year to all. Yeah, Happy New Year to Happy you. Happy New Year, Sammy. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, Sam. Thanks, Woody. guys. Yeah. Yeah, bit of love. Boys. That's all good. Boys. <laughs> all right, yeah, no. Um, Arsenal kicked off their New Year in fine fashion. Of course, Aston Villa as well turned around their poor form to have a big win at Burnley. And also, before we get stuck into those two games and the quickfire results, we do have a special, special guest coming up. Later in the show, Mitch Cleary from AFL.com to talk about his trip to Europe. I think he might have attended the Manchester Derby, so he'll have lots to talk about in regards to that. Boys, you excited for that? Sure, I mate. He's, uh, he's someone that we have definitely engaged with um, in terms of his content production for the last few years now, being huge AFL supporters. But yeah, so keen to have him on. He's had a huge summer over there in England and watch heaps of games. Very, very jealous, actually. Yeah, very exciting. But Woody... As I said, before you get stuck into anything else, give us those quick fire results. 
To start off the round, Brighton and Chelsea drew one all. Villa down Burnley 2-1. Leicester destroyed Newcastle 3-0. Watford on a red card, beat Wolves 2-1. Southampton down Tottenham 1-0. West Ham destroyed Bournemouth 4-0. City down Everton 2-1. Palace and Norwich drew one all. Arsenal beat United 2-0. And to kick to cap off the round, Liverpool beat Sheffield, the Mighty Blades, 2-0. All right, so we did mention that Arsenal kicked off their year in fine, fine fashion. Their best performance in a very long time. Arteta getting the first win. So let's get stuck straight into that one. Arsenal versus Manchester United. Pepe with the corner. Dangerous ball in. De Gea can't hold it. Socrates capitalises. And just before half-time... That man Lacazette has been involved in so much good stuff for Arsenal this evening. Gets across the front first man, flicks it on. 2-0 to the Gunners. Yep, so 2-0 is how that one finished. Uh, pretty dire second half, but the mm. job was done for Arsenal. Yeah, as you said, Damon, I think it was Arsenal's best performance of the year to date. I mean, including 2019. Couldn't really fault their performance, but that being said, United weren't all that flash, were they? Nah, they were pretty spooked in the first half, to be honest with you. And I think a lot came down to Arsenal's pressure on the ball as well. The way Arteta came out to play, uh, he structured Arsenal very well in that they very high press, um, much due to Lacazette's running um, up top as a striker. But they pressured, pressured United for most of the first half, and it showed because they got the two goals to show for it. And United didn't look like they were providing anything other than past their midfield line. It was very similar in how they started against Chelsea the game earlier. And so, you know, it was it was a big question. The only question mark really after that first half was, was Arsenal going to be able to maintain that level of performance? And let's be honest, they probably didn't. But the job was done because they were able to get that second goal, unlike against Chelsea. And... To be honest with you, we can talk about United and how they really failed to adapt to the situation. But quick I feel like we enough. do that too often. Yeah, should... Even though I've been away for a month, I still feel like <laughs> the same dialogue with United is repeated. Although I did miss their big their big win a few weeks ago, but we'll stop talking about that now. No, they, they <laughs> did. It was definitely a case of a slow, slow reaction from United. But yeah, Arsenal and their signing, Nicolas Pepe, probably... Finally, the performance that the Arsenal fans are waiting for. It definitely still hasn't justified the price tag yet, but Woody, you'd have to say that it was a f- almost flawless performance. Mate, it was. He, he jumped into the game, and right from the get-go, he had Luke Shaw on a platter. It was on skates. On skates. I didn't want skates, mate. It was. It was. It was beautiful to watch, and I think that very much came down to uh, Ozil, Alba, Laka, and Pepe all starting. I. Th- Correct me if I'm wrong, I think for the first time this season. I, I think, um, well, it definitely was the first time it worked all season if it wasn't yeah, the first time they started. Exactly. And I know they've definitely come on and played together in when one of them has had a substitute appearance. Yep. But I don't think they've all started together. Um, but nonetheless, Nicholas Pepe provided the bloody goods on the weekend. Um, 100% park ac- pass accuracy, 100% pass in the opposition half, 50 touches, 16 jewels, two shots goal, creating chances left, right, and center with four for the day. And like I said, had Luke Shaw on skates, mate, it was it was it was a, a game to forget for Luke Shaw. Yeah, it certainly was, and I think Luke Shaw probably I felt sorry for him a little bit because it's not like he necessarily was playing badly. I'm just going to be really harsh here and say it might just honestly Pepe standard wise was too good for him, and yeah. would be too good for him nine times out of ten. I thought he didn't get much help from Nemanja Matic in that left hand side of midfield, but nevertheless. I thought just the way Nicolas Pepe probably could have had another one hit the post after David De Gea, a really horrific pass out of the back. 
it could have been even bigger for Nicolas Pepe. Quite funny when he did get substituted off. I don't think he really wanted to come off. And you know how the new rules now, you have no, to come off. Yeah. You have to come off on the side pretty much where you are. Yeah. And he didn't really want to. And then once he did, he pretty much got his own uh, you know, walk around. Walk, yeah. Lap of honor. Lap of honor. Yeah, lap that's the honor. phrase I'm looking for. And he was soaking it up and good on him. He probably, he probably would have been starting to get into his head how he'd been playing this season. Yeah, and so. when, you, when a player was playing like that, you definitely don't want to get him... He hasn't wouldn't want to come off, but I think it was extremely uh, showed showed Arteta's technical awareness. It was a mature substitution, it, for sure. It was because um, in the second half, Luke Shaw probably had the better of um, uh, better of Pepe before he came off. Yeah. So it was good. As soon as he co- was out of the game, he came off to give new blood, and he didn't let Luke Shaw get over Pepe for too long. Mm-hmm. But I think Pepe's first half probably comes down to the way that Mesut Ozil played, and he was in full swing. Again. I was going to say since. I think out of all the players in the Premier League this year, has there been a more up and down resurgence of a season than Mesut Ozil to date? Because Danny you Ings. Look at, <laughs> but, all right, but, but you look at the change in the manager and Unai Emery's treating of Ozil and not even having yeah. him on the bench earlier in the season. Yeah. We look at how that's changed and how Arsenal have now yeah. seemed to get it quick. You just said they just started their... their what is it? What's a four? The, the, the attacking the, front the four. Attacking the attacking front, front four, four. For the first time, look what happened against United. So I think moving forward it's, with that, it's an interesting thing to look at from it, where they started. What what stood out to me was that Ozil ran the most on the field of any mm, player. Which is un- unlike Ozil, really. 11.54 kilometers for the day. It's... it's it's just, yeah, as you said, Woody, it's just not the Ozil we've come to know. He is 31 years old now. It's not like he's going to be he's not a, change he's not, his whole... He's not a green shoot anymore. Yeah, exactly. And he's not going to be able to do deliver that every single game. And look, I think Arteta's clearly offering him something, whether it be... Uh, Off the field. Yeah, it? just, just energizing him somehow. Yeah. Getting him pumped up for these games because I thought he started really brightly against Chelsea, then faded. But nevertheless, Ozil's doing what he's being asked. Well, I think the way that they're almost structure structuring it around him, uh, obviously him playing the playing a four two three one. Well, of course, Ozil did play his best football with Arteta behind him in midfield a couple <laughs> of years ago, so maybe there's something in that. But I think the way that they allowed Ozil to sort of ghost between the lines and have a bit of a free free flowing and roaming sort of position, it allowed him to get in behind United's midfield and probably make Maddie look like a bit of a bit of a bystander, realistically. And then also the way that it allowed him to feed the pace. Yeah. Pace in front of him, pace beside him, either side. Well, Woody, just on how those front four complemented each other so well, we spoke about Lacazette against Chelsea and how he probably had a real ordinary day for his standards, but he really bounced back this week, didn't he? Yeah, look, for me, Lacazette did so much underappreciated work, and I think it was actually only highlighted by the Arsenal diehard Arsenal supporters after the game um, through their socials. But if looking at Lacazette's game, you, he didn't have the flashy numbers. He didn't have the amount of successful passes and he didn't have probably, you know, the ridiculous impact or the goals that he would like to have during the game. But what he did do was constantly run at the defense. He did the things he could control. Exactly. And and that's that's the little stuff going up for going up for the jewels, even though he's going to lose against Harry Maguire and Lindelof yeah. because he doesn't have the height. He kept doing it. He put in the dirty work, got physical with the center backs. But then the way he stretched the defense, did a Yui, came back. <laughs> chucked a and Yui. Then chucked a Yui, <laughs> fanged it, <laughs> and then came back. And then his hold-up play stretched the defense. But it wasn't just sit on the sit on the center backs' shoulders. It was push them back, come forward, 
grab Ozil's pass, flick it out to the sides for Aubameyang and Pepe to do their thing. And that's probably what allowed Pepe to come in and drift in so much. So, I mean, it is really good to see that Lacazette is no longer probably probably just the goals and assists defines his game. Yep, yep, it's yep. more what he does considering he's got so many stars sitting in the three and behind he's him. He's got some help for the first he time. He does. And I think with Arsenal's good run of injuries, it's 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 fortunate that they have those four starting at the same time and hopefully it can continue. Yep. That's so the biggest that's a big question. In the Premier League nightclub fashion, we don't have to talk about United now. And I know <laughs> There's always there's been a, we've spoken about them a lot this year, but Damon, what is going on with their lineup at the moment? What's happening? Well, it, it's a it's a really interesting way of looking at it. Now they set up exactly the same way they set up at the Etihad and when they faced Tottenham at Old Trafford, and I think you could understand why Solskjaer put out the team he did. Obviously, we, we, the two main ones that really struggled on the day were Luke Shaw, who we've already spoken about, and Jesse Lingard. Now, I can understand why those two started, especially Jesse Lingard. He has a great record against Arsenal, especially at the Emirates, and of course didn't play a few games a few days earlier, so he had the fresh legs. But for mine, the the manager at fault, clearly, Solskjaer, at, this, at that point in the first half, it wasn't completely on him. Okay, mm. that team should have been playing better. But the thing where I was really disappointed in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was the fact that he made that substitution in the 56th minute. Mm. I, you just compare it straight away to what Lampard did the days earlier. 20, 23 minutes in. And he made that ruthless change and it completely changed the game. You, I'm not saying it would have happened, but you just wonder what would have happened if an Andreas Pereira came on for Jesse Lingard before Arsenal found that second goal. Yeah. Because uh, United looked... Uh, Way better team in that second half with Pereira on. Now, look, when we're all experts in hindsight about who should start, so I, that's why I'm not slating the starting lineup. It had worked previously, so why not try it again? I just think it was the lack of uh, change urgently which cost United, and ultimately, you know, could the those little moments cost Solskjaer well, his was, job in the long run? I think it was just one of those things where and. and I think Lampard showed great great credit to Lampard for doing it last week, but it's 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 the ca- classic case where you stick with the lineup because not many people make subs in the first half, and you, hopefully it's going to come good. Now, when Lampard did that with Jorginho, he knew the lamp he knew it was going to come good because he didn't want to concede the early goal. Yeah. But the thing is, with United, they'd already conceded the early goal, so I think almost in a sense, yeah, the I way the way. They had, they almost had to let the lineup come good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah and I it just, and it just didn't come. That's the thing. And then they almost, they shot themselves in the foot when they conceded the second, I suppose, and then it was yeah, and then, and especially then, off a corner that was frustrating. That's a, yeah. that's an interesting way to look at it because you, when you compare it to the Lampard decision, if you have, as what he said, conceded the early goal already, I think, and which there were multiple yeah, opportunities where Chelsea could have conceded the early goal as well. You mean the second goal, obviously, because they already had. Yeah, and I'm talking about they, they, yeah. they could have gone two nil down. Yeah. I get that. A lot of opportunities. I think I think by the time the second goal was scored for United, it was like, okay, we need to change it now. It yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I'm on... Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I get that. And I've, as I said, we're all experts in hindsight. So question to pose to you guys to wrap this game up. Mm. And that is, look, I know Arsenal have only just won the one game out of their three with Arteta in charge. Mm. But you have to say, even their draw against Bournemouth and their loss against Chelsea, they look a much better team than they have previously this season. Do you see Arteta being able to bring this Arsenal team together and make a charge for the top four? Or is it just about setting the foundations? I'm not sure. I mean, he's been trained, he's been groomed by Pep. So yeah. he's, he's got, got the best, he's, best he's coach. He's got the, the best business. coach. 
coach in like, you know the coach of the coach yeah, of the coach, coach yeah. of the coach. So <clears throat> if any, <clears throat> sorry, I'm a bit sick. If anyone could sort of formulate a way to bring Arsenal out of the rut that they've been into under the late Wenger days and then into the Unai Emery failure that it was, I think he's got the potential. But it's hard for me right now to say. He's got it because it is only a one of three. Um, I think if anything, they'll. I, I can't say. I can't say it will happen, but you can see them almost showing shades of a city team just because of how yeah. much. And I'm, uh, hear me out for a second. Pep plays the Spanish way: tiki taka, yes. possession, structured football, incision plays. Yeah. Right. We know Arteta's going to bring some of that. He can't. But that's the way Arteta played in the Spanish national team anyway. That's true. And that's the way he would have trained under Pep. And even even in the early days uh, when he played for Everton as well, that's similar to the way they played. They restructured that when he played for Everton, they almost restructured the way they played a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And that's so that was that's almost in a sense Arteta's been playing this way, you know, his whole career. Now I'm not saying it's going to emulate into the Arsenal team because that's unrealistic to say that at this point. City's uh, City will be a uh, or Arsenal will be a carbon copy of City. But you can see shades of the way that Ozil played. The ghosting midfielder is a very Spanish way to play yeah. the game. Yep, that's and that's true. the way Ozil played. So I can see shades of that coming into Arsenal's play. For sure. All righty, were you happy to wrap that one up? I think so. Sweet. All right, let's move on to our next segment, the usual segment of winners and losers. Ooh, first one back. Oi, did someone say winners and losers? Sure did, mate. <laughs> All right. Sammy, because it is your first one back, would you like to kick us off with your winner? Okay, so my winner is West Ham, and just for a small little reason of uh, David Moyes, off, he's off to a good start with the 4-0 win. Um, Mark, and just another side note, Mark Noble from uh, West Ham has now scored the most goals outside the box in their history. So There you go. Good on them. It was a top start, wasn't it? And they it? were blowing bubbles down there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, Woody, your winner. All right, so my winner of the week is... Alizir Yahan Bosch. And that's Wait, I know that again. Alizir <laughs> Yahan Bosch. I've been practicing that. I've been, I've been practicing so much and it doesn't help that I've been staring at the bloody screen doing the graphic for six hours anyway. <laughs> it looks like it just, I couldn't even attempt that. Yeah, it, it's Ali Reza Yahan Bosch. Anyway, um, so complete zero to hero moment uh, last few weeks for the Iranian national winger. Yahan Bosch scored his second goal in consecutive games um, after only going 26 um, appearances with nothing. And over 18 months, right? He was Brighton's record signing from Dutch side um, AZ Alkmaar. And he has copped a lot of lot of flack um, on social media for being a, a horrible transfer pose. And a lot of the commentators as well say, we don't know where Johan Busch is going to go. And now I think he's almost like, he's game well, by the week. numbers. What, what a week. week. What a week for him as well. As he silenced the critics. For, now, for now, he has to because he scored his first goal and you could see how much it meant to him because both goals, especially the first one last week, he dropped was to the, in tears. Dropped to, the, dropped to the ground in tears. Like It was huge for him to come to the Premier League. Shows how much it means to him. Yeah, yeah, we and forget then, that these guys are human sometimes, yeah. don't we? Yeah, well, it was almost inhuman, the goal he bloody scored as yeah. well. The scissor. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> and you can catch that on our Insta at Premier League Nightclub as well. Um, that new, is new little our, graphic setup as well. Yeah, that is our first ever News Club Nice news fire out nightclub news flash yeah, well, you'll get the hang of it would you <laughs> yeah well hopefully the viewers get the hang of it too because it is a bit of a different sort of way we're coming at them but yeah you explain coming... that in the post yeah bloody oath I will so stay um, tuned. yeah anyway so heartwarming to see someone of his story and, and also um 
the way the way the year he's had come on. So yeah, Graham Potter, go the Aussies, go Brighton, <laughs> go your Harmbush. Sammy, who's yours? No, we already did. We've, oh, we've done me, mate. We've Damon, Damon's Damon oh, mate. Who's yours? All right, mine's Watford, and what an unbelievable turnaround it's been in the past four four five games for Watford. They've been huge under Nigel Pearson. They've got they've been re-energized, and their whole attitude towards playing has just completely changed. 2-1 win over Wolves on New Year's Day was massive. Of course, did it after a red card in the 70th minute. Ten men, Watford, holding out Wolves. who And Wolves have been flying, let's be honest, for the last three months. So that was a massive win for them. I just start to think... It, Nigel Pearson obviously pulled off that miracle with Leicester to keep them up the year before they did win the title. So he knows how to keep a team up. It was their first back-to-back win... In, since February, well, last February now, I, can, mm. it's, I can't even say February because it's a different year. But so 2019 February. Yep, it's been it's been a it's been good, a very tough year. For it, it has, and I think we spoke about last week. Woody, you and made the uh, introduction or reintroduction of Troy Deeney playing that just leadership role and how important that's been. So yeah, Watford suddenly looking like they are every chance to stay up. All right, uh, who wants to kick off the loser? I'll put it shotgun up. Sure, I'll. I'll I'll keep off. My loser this week is actually Newcastle. So, mate, the Maggies uh, lost 3-0 to Leicester. Horrible, horrible game. If anything, it showcases how far they are off being even a mid-table team. Mm-hmm. They only had 23% possession for the game. 23% possession. <laughs> now, when, you, when, you, when you're rolling into a lineup with, you know, like the Joe Linton and, and Yashimura Mudo coming in, they have not been in good form. Amaron is probably the only Newcastle guy that's actually shown promise. They can't get the ball, apparently. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is, the thing is, they defended and they got run ragged as well. Manquillo, Shelby, and Willems, three midfielders came off. They got run ragged with 23% possession. Another goalless, goalless play, and their strikers are still in horrible form. What a shitty round for them. Can, Far I, just, out. can I just add to that, Woody? Yeah. I was looking at this the other day. Did you know Soyonchu for Leicester had 105 more passes than the most of a Newcastle player. He had, I think there he had go. about 130 passes for the game and the most Newcastle player had about 25. Oh my That's God. so sad. That's an unheard of stat. It's incredible. That's an unheard Mate, of was, stat. It was dead set. Some some of the most boring play <laughs> I've seen. <laughs> I can't say I tuned in for that one. Sam, who yeah. is your loser? So my loser is Tottenham. I think just a loss to Southampton just sets them back again on the road to getting into the Champions League qualifying. I mean, they're now sitting sixth on the table and that... It's a bit of a gap now between Chelsea. It's a bit of a gap between them and Chelsea and they were, if they had won that, they would have been right on the toes. Maybe, I think it was one or... I can't two remember. Two points or Two points yeah. behind. And it's just another setback in what's been a really turbulent year for Tottenham with the loss of Pochettino earlier and things like that. And I think it's just... It's, not, actually, it's actually hard to wrap around where we're in 2020, isn't it? it is. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, so much has happened... In yeah, four months that we've been doing this pod, especially over the Christmas so period. Many managerial changes. Yeah, and over the Christmas period, it was just so hectic. Having like what six eps in 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 three weeks. Yeah, um, far out. Yeah. So yeah, I think it was just and obviously unlucky with Kane's offside and things like that. That would have gotten them another point, but I think just a bit of a bit of a mare from Tottenham and yeah, one they sure. needed to win. Speaking of Harry Kane, actually, uh, we had a bloke on our Insta who said that we didn't. Uh, we didn't include RVP in our team of the decade demo that we put together last week. Oh, I yeah. saw this. I did. Yeah, read, I did and, look at that and that man, it was a bit of a heated debate. Yeah, it was a bit of a heated debate, wasn't it? Because it, it was a bit surprised he came how, with RVP. And how, it, how many years did RVP play in this decade? Five. I think five. He, 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 he wrapped up halfway through Van Hal's era at Man United, so that would have been 
15. Yeah, 15, 14, 16. 15. Yeah. Yeah, and um, at Oscar underscore Prescott 14, RVP, genuine shout and a half, but I think... Um, what I was trying to say in the replies on the Insta was that, you know, Kane has done it for almost a decade. And that's the thing. I think his breakout year was a 2014, I think. 2014, 2014 when he came back on loan yeah. uh, from his third loan, I he think. Had a, he had a ridiculous fee for 15. <laughs> yeah, and he's had four and, he, and he's had he's had four 20 plus goal seasons now as well. Went to the UCL, um, had a huge Won season. Won the Golden Boot at a World Cup. As well, well. Golden Boot World Cup. That's a, like, mate. Players dream to have that trophy in their cabinet as well, um, but yeah, like I think I think Kane, the way he finished off the decade was the better was better than the way RVP finished off his career. You'd also have to say the rise of Tottenham from what they were six. Yeah. Years oh, ago well, completely to now. because they finished they finished uh, they got they got very close to winning the league um, when Leicester won in fifteen sixteen, yep. and that was much on the back of Harry Kane's thirty plus goal season. And on top of that, you know, the last five years Tottenham have been right up there in Champions and, and, League final, although he was injured for. Yeah, he came yeah. back for it. Didn't have the greatest day, but yeah, still Tottenham and what they are today yeah. are a lot to do with it's Harry Kane. All right, believe it or not, we are actually still in the winners and losers segment because I still <laughs> haven't done my loser. Damo, who is your loser? Thank you for asking, Woody. My loser is Norwich City. And again, they gave up late points after leading with 10 minutes to go, this time to Crystal Palace in a 1-1 draw. And look, I know, as I said it last week, when they're in those positions and you're in the spot you are on the table, you need three points, not one. But the main reason they are my loser is because of... I apologise if my pronunciation is not correct. Hey, we practised this earlier in the season. Emiliano Bundia. Did I, I get that right? Buendia. Buendia. Oh, he, tomatoes, tomatoes. Man. He has the third most assists in the league with seven. He's flying at the moment. He's got second most chances created in the league behind Kevin De Bruyne. When you look at how many goals Norwich has scored, it's incredible that he's you know, up there with the best playmakers in the league this season. The reason Norwich are my loser is because he's out of contract at the end of this season. And if Norwich go down, I cannot see him staying with the Canaries in their quest to go back up. And he's been on fire this season. Yeah, he was has. It, was there even a shout for our early team of the season XR? And I still think if it wasn't for the quality of some other midfielders, he might get in there. Well, he still could get in there next yeah. week. Sam, you might have something to say about that. All right. Ooh. Let's get <laughs> Mate, into can, our I, next... Hold up. Yes? What? No one mentioned Danny Ings as our winner. Yeah, I know. I yeah. was, I was. How, how he's Danny flying. Ings? He's flying. He can be the podcast Danny Ings winner. doing serious things. <laughs> <laughs> mate, did you see his touch? Yeah, second oh. in the golden boot and flick. Mate, that flick he had. Woo! Filthy. Let's move on. Skates. Anyway, move on. Sorry. Let's move on to <laughs> our next game and final game, and that is Burnley versus Aston Villa. Now Trezeguet, Wesley. Just about has enough pitch. That's nice to Nakamba. Lovely play this from Villa. Now Grealish. Oh, stunning! Aston Villa are on fire! Yep, Villa were on fire. Uh, for the first time in a while, safe to say, of course, Burnley found a late consolation, but Villa were the better team all throughout the day and got the 2-1 win. Absolutely, and boy, how much did they need this. They've been coming off some really, really poor form recently with only the one other away win for the year, I, I believe. So uh, it was huge that they got up here and something that they needed given they lost to Burnley last year. Yeah, they did, they did. Yeah, yeah, they did. All right, Woody, you... Watched this one, yeah, which I was I pretty impressed about because Mate, I, I've been keeping up with the villains. Actually, it's season. probably just because you have a man crush on Jack Grealish. <laughs> but I, it's his, it's his nice blonde hair, isn't it? It's his, <laughs> it's his mate. It's his car. It's his calves. He does have ridiculous. I swear, calves. we've mentioned Jack Grealish, Grealish's calves at least oh, six, every seven episode. Times, I reckon every right. episode. 
Now, Woody, you were, you've been big on the formation that Aston Villa have played all season. Yeah. But you're also big on how they changed it finally come 2020. How did they do it, Woody? How Mate, did they get the win in this well, one? Well, it's actually funny because last week, I think, or last week and the week before, I've slated Villa both weeks. And it's because I said that Dean Smith was so rigid with a 3-4-3. And I'll tell you what, in a week where he, a, lot of, a lot of fans are calling for his outing, Hashtag Dean Smith out was almost trending on Twitter, right? <laughs> he switched to a three four three, which was so surprising. It was actually really radical. But turns out he's actually done it in um, two league, uh, two um, cup games as well so far this season. But Tyron Mings was coming back from injury, which I think plays a big part. Plays yeah, a huge yeah, part yeah, as well so. because um, you know House and uh, the other one I can't remember his name, Konza uh, was um, were playing really well while Mings were out. But nonetheless, when Mings came back, he slotted straight into the middle of those two boys. And then from there, Villa were, were, it had allowed Villa to combat Burnley's area prowess. And looking back at the fixture earlier on this season, Villa actually conceded two goals via header set pieces from um, from Burnley's attack. And it actually, they conceded, uh, Chris Wood scored a goal um Via a header as well, but much that much of that came due to Villa's three at the back, and I think it played really well because it also played into Tyrone Mings's strength, and we've seen it. I'm not rambling on a bit here because I'm so passionate about this. <laughs> the way Mings plays for England as well you comes through as that middle centre back, and it almost plays the ball through the midfield to Douglas Louise and Marvelous Nakamba in the midfield, and I think that really allowed Mings to unleash his the way he passes the ball mm-hmm. and allowed him more time in the ball. So coming with that 3-4-3, three, three, I think, you know, really almost allowed Mings to play as a deep-lying playmaker and shift it off. Yep. And if anything, it allowed more space on the wings for Grealish and Trezeguet to work, work their magic. And Grealish, obviously, man of the match, forced the goal, um, which ended up being Wesley's uh, first goal in, I don't know, bloody hell. I, think, I believe it was 14-13, something like that pr- amount of Premier League games. Absolutely. Oh. I mean, last Drought week, should have, scored, should have scored against Ben Foster last last week, but goodness me. It's almost like a Karim Benzema drought. Like, <laughs> <laughs> how long? That was a long drought. It I was a long that. drought, but he, he, on yeah. another note, he's actually one of the most underrated he, centre really forwards the moment, in yeah. the world. But yeah, I just think, well, for, for mine, Woody, I, so I hate to cut you off, but Villa probably, that as Sam said, when we got stuck into this game, they desperately, desperately, desperately needed to win. And... They almost got the exact opposite of luck, which they need, which they didn't need, and that was yeah. the VAR. Yeah. Come Jack Realish's first, you know, time putting the ball in the back of mm. the net. Now, I actually, I do believe that if if we can get on off on or offside, on or offside, yes, <laughs> uh, black and white, I believe that then no one can really complain. But it does kill the kill the excitement of a goal and I, and I saw it firsthand I, I'm not going to go back into Arsenal Man United but when Pepe scored the first goal there was a build in the build up Maguire just just mm. kept Kolasinac onside and, and I think a lot of Arsenal players and fans thought that potentially there was going to have a yeah. look and if you look at the way that there was you just Arsenal yeah, had just scored I, against Man United and the celebrations weren't as big as I would have liked to have seen and again here at Villa oh not at Villa Park sorry at Turf Moor it was just interesting to see that you know it, it probably there was you know if you ask any Burnley player in the build-up they probably didn't even realize it was offside but again it's just that you know if it's offside yeah. I'm happy for it to call it but it does kill atmosphere 15 minutes could save you 15 percent or more oh that's a cheer we used to do in softball uh what 
it's uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. It goes back to that discussion we had a long time ago now about the fabric of the game. In terms yeah, of, completely. In terms of how much technology is playing a part. And I think there's no avoiding it anymore, unfortunately, because it's... It's instilled. It's, it's because, because football and these elite sports are such a commodity they're such a business it can't be wrong yeah it's a results-based yeah. business and it's a results oh you're so business. you're so, so right sammy so you're so right i just think that that's something we're gonna have to live with and it's gonna be that eeriness around when goals are scored if it's gonna get taken away but it's something that we're gonna have to live with from here. i wonder where we'll be in 10 years with it like well, you'd hope mate i wonder where it's gonna be in a year and a half te- technology yeah. is accelerating at such a fast-paced rate so who knows how I don't know. They might there might be a way that it's instantaneous. You know what I mean? Like there's a constant laser on the back line. Yeah, you I, know I, what I mean. Like, well, hopefully knows? we do get to that because I, I just thought the way that Jack Grealish's goal was you know disallowed. I, I I thought for the first time, even though right or wrong, you can have your opinion. I just thought it, it left a bit of taste in my mouth watching that one. That was pretty grim for yeah. the for the pure football fan. Yeah, and I mean moving on to Burnley now, I think. We need to be stated that... Mate, the chances dried up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Chris Wood's goal for Burnley came from their first shot on target in the match, which came at the 80th minute. I think so, last, last week when they beat Bournemouth, their first shot on target was in the 89th minute as well. And they yeah. won that one. So, goodness me, you're not wrong, Sam. They need to shoot better. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They need to just get the ball more, to be honest. Yeah. It's, it's pretty dry football that Burnley have played for a long amount of time, but they now sit 15th on the table. And Woody, do you think they need to change something, or do you think they're going to grind it out like they quite often no, do? No, no, I, I, I actually do think they need to change something, and I don't think it's the manager. That's for okay. sure. Yep. Um, but I do think the way they play with, um, like they they consistently play long balls. And with that being said, they have no plan B. And Damon, we harped on it last week. The amount of teams that don't have a plan B is actually really frustrating. It's really, really frustrating. And sure, you've got Chris Wood up top who who scores. You know, so many goals via his head and Barnes as well. Like they're double trouble. We twin, know what Burnley twin bring. tables. We know what Burnley bring, but the thing is, they they so need every some other opposition. <laughs> so, yeah, they need something else. It's one dimensional at the moment because the amount of times they play long balls in transition, wait, and it's 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 almost a faulted way they play because and it sh- it re- in theory it shouldn't work, yeah, but it does and it has and it had, but now they need something else. Like they need. A winger that has pace and delivery. They need a midfielder that can maybe crack the lines. They need more than just a long ball. Yeah, for sure. And I think now with the rise of form of your Watfords, your Villa, and even maybe West Ham, I think Burnley might be looking over their shoulder a little bit. Well, if it wasn't for Bournemouth's form, they could very well be even lower on the table. Well, if it wasn't for... I think Villa have now provided a blueprint of how to nullify Burnley. Yeah, for sure. And with imagine if teams do it with better centre backs, exactly, and with a better midfield. One hundred percent. Okay. All right. So just one more question. Yep. For the Villas win, what does it mean for their their season now? And going into the January transfers, what are they going to do? Are they going to target new people? What's to go? Well, there's been a bit of talk about Jack Grealish and what his future holds. Of course. Some of the bigger clubs might come circling, but of course, we all always have that question of whether Grealish actually wants to leave Villa. He's gone down with them before and come back up. He's been with them for a really long time, so 
he's obviously probably one of the more loyal players in football yeah. these days. So I think that really helps Villa sake for their sake to keep him. But I just think right now Villa they need they need to it's pretty cliche but take it one week at a time. I, I, I there'll be people planning for January and we you know you've got a little bit of opinion on how they should go about that. But I just think their results week to week are the most important thing and you know whoever they face uh, next up after the FA Cup break, not sure who it is off the top of my head. But they just need to make sure that they're doing everything in their power to get points to stay up. Mate, I think with Wesley going down, though, like it, it really highlights a need for them to bring in a striker. Because realistically, they haven't really haven't got that much. They've got um, you know, El Mohamedy, but he hasn't been that good as well this season. And where El Ghazi is not a straight-out straight out striker, they need someone to play the lines. And uh, Grealish is not going to fill that role. Mm-hmm. He's not going to play there. So I just I think they need to look for an out of form striker similar to what Southampton did and get a Danny Ings esque output and that you can pray for. There are Danny Ings out there. They they're are. just sitting at the clubs. They are. That's a very you know very what I mean? true statement. Very like the Batuai types that they're sitting there waiting for someone to come get them. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's where they need to look, especially in January. They need a lone player. They sure. have to, and especially with Heaton going down. Who knows? They need they need more than just one player for sure. Alrighty. Let's wrap that one up because it is now time for something we've been waiting for for a while. We've had it in the works for a while. I'm very excited. I don't know about you boys. I hope you are very excited. And I hope the listeners are excited because it is now time to talk to a reporter from AFL.com, Mitch Cleary, who we do have on the line, who's ready to talk all things football. Mitch, thank you so much for joining us today. It is a pleasure to have you on. You have me, boys. All right, uh, do we want, just want to get stuck straight into the questions? Nick, I know you were pretty eager to ask a certain one to start off. <laughs> um, yeah, look, uh, look, uh, we, we follow your Euro trip pretty heavily and um, just just wanted to jump straight into that one because it's been a big one on our socials that we've been sort of following as well. Um, firstly, how did you fall in love in Premier League that led you to that Euro trip? So how did you sort of fall in love with the world game? I was thinking this before I... Uh came on the show, boys, and I was actually, I reckon it traces back to a trip I went to Thailand when I was maybe 11 or 12, and I'm not sure if you realise how big the, the Premier League is, but it's absolutely off the charts in Asia, and sort of falling in love watching it at bars, um, you know, buying all the jerseys down the streets, it was when sort of Rude Van Nisselrooy was going around for Man United and sort of fell in love with, with Man United that way, and I just think that whole energy of um, what Asia delivered maybe got me in love with the game and um, sort of growing up, tend to watch a bit more Champions League and those sort of um, you know, 7am starts back here in Australia or the, the midnight starts when it was back on, on Fox Sports and, and sort of just fell in love with it that way and it, it didn't hurt having a few mates at school that were uh, also pretty keen into the, uh, into the EPL as well. Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up question. Obviously... Um, that's how you fell in love with the game. But do you, is it a family thing as well, or is it purely just a mate's thing at school or, or watched it on those school mornings? Purely just, um, purely just a mate's thing, but I did used to go around on summer holidays and stay with my cousin. I still remember watching the Man United-Roma Champions League win. Um, was that the 7-1? On I think that was the 7 Yeah. Yep. yeah um, with him on a Wednesday or Thursday morning, whatever that would have been, and, and just sort of being a journalist back here and following the news cycle as I've got older and older, just sort of uh, fallen in love with how 
how they cover the game and how big uh, probably the news cycle is over there. So it's all culminated in a love for the EPL, and uh, that's what sort of took me on the uh, the trip to, to head over to Europe. Well, just just on that trip over to Europe and being a journalist here in Australia, I I suppose we're all just a bit interested in what the difference in sports journalism is compared to Europe and how they cover games and whether there's more of a bias depending on where you go compared to here in Australia. Just want to get your thoughts on what the what the main differences were or if it's actually just quite the same. I, I, I definitely think they're uh, quite a bit more ruthless over there. Like they don't hold back in their opinions on players. I think the journalists uh, yeah, probably don't hold back. Here, we probably don't go as personal on the players and you even look at the, the, the player wives and stories that spin out of that. Um, you know, you go back to the Rooney Vardy situation <laughs> um, in the last six months. Um, I know we've had similar over here, but it just seems like it's quite a bit more intense over there. Every match has got play ratings, so that they're quite critical on if a player hasn't performed. Whereas you look here in Australia, we tend to focus out of the matches on the good performances during the week when there's a bit of controversy around. Sure, that that gets covered, but out of the match day and purely on the matches, I think. Here it's focused on the wins um, and the, the positive player performances rather than over there. If a player has a bad match, they wouldn't want to be reading the press too much that week, I don't think. Mm, for sure. Well, we've gone on about this Euro Tour, but we actually haven't asked the obvious question. And that was like, what games did you go to and was there a certain highlight moment or match-wise? Uh, so being a, 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 a Man United supporter, I was able to get a ticket for the... Uh, Man United Man City match at the Etihad um, and sat with the United fans probably <laughs> talking to a few mates it probably I don't know like what you boys think maybe their best win in two or three years yeah. to go to the Etihad and, and knock them off when uh, United have been struggling quite a bit they were 2-0 up uh, City equalised late and were able to hold on and um, we actually had to stay in the ground for 30-40 minutes after the match just because of that whole rivalry and I didn't want the United fans spilling out uh, onto the concourse after the match. So that was pretty special and uh, something I'll never forget. But just the uh, the energy at Crystal Palace was pretty cool and uh, the class of Chelsea when they beat Aston Villa was also up there as well. Do you do the, do you do the thing where you go, you go to every game and you pick up a jersey for every team? Or sorry, say that again. Did you did you do the thing where you um you go to each game and you pick up a jersey from every team? <laughs> I do get a jersey. I, I get a scarf or a, or a cap or something like that. So I don't think I can replace the, the Man United jersey. But uh, going around Europe, um, I don't know what you both think, but I don't think you'd be wearing too many uh, EPL teams' colours. But I picked up a bit of Barca memorabilia when I uh, went there and uh, a bit of Bayern Munich stuff, so, so that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, definitely just trying to stick with the Man United, Man United gear. Yeah. So uh, just on those games... Having myself never actually been to Europe or a Premier League match as of yet, I'm interested in the fans and what the atmosphere of the games like. And who who was the most who was the craziest? What was did you get into any sort of interesting situations? Because sorry, yeah, I know that they're a lot more hostile over there when it comes to the support. So I was just more interested in what that was like and what you felt sitting at the game. So the Crystal Palace game was off the charts in terms of it was a Monday night game for them, so it was a standalone game on Sky Sports. So uh, over there, obviously, the broadcast has a big impact on, on what happens with the uh, the fixture that week. So Crystal Palace 
uh, were playing Bournemouth that week, and you could really sense the fans were, were up for it. It was actually the first um, first night. Sorry, sorry, I say Sky Sports. But it was actually the first night that Amazon Prime had bought into the EPL. Oh yeah, and. Um, the Crystal Palace fans actually brought banners into the match saying, uh, I can't remember the exact wording, but basically canning the, the Amazon sport because over there, um, it's not like here with the AFL with, with broadcast. You, you've got to almost have three different subscriptions if you want to watch your team play. You, you've got your Sky Sports, um, you've got your, uh, your BBC stuff you, you've got to pay for, and then you've got your Amazon Prime. So the fans are actually hitting out going to the matches using banners to hit out at the, uh, I guess, the administrators to say that we've, they've had enough. And I found the Crystal Palace fans to be probably as intense as any as I saw. They call them the ultras. There's probably 400, 500 of them that sit behind the goals at, um, at Crystal Palace's ground at Selhurst Park. And um, they all wear black. It's quite a good energy. Um, <laughs> Talking, talking to a few fans that were sitting around us, we were lucky enough to be sitting not far, uh, and they, they tend to move the fans each season depending on where they think there needs to be more energy in the crowd, so oh, wow. they, think they can move those 400, 400 guys um, to a different part of the ground to, to bring a bit more energy, That they'll do that. The other thing, having been to a few games now, it's staggering to, to see the demographic of, of the people there. So you see quite a lot of males between... Uh, you know, early 20s, right up to 50s, 60s, but you don't see many uh, females and certainly not many kids. So uh, it's definitely quite different to something you experience over here, especially with the A-League. You see quite a few families getting along, but uh, over there, the season ticket holders uh, are so hard to come by that it's uh, quite often those passionate male fans in their, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s. I guess you'd really get that sense that the fans are going to battle just as much as the players yeah. over there. Um, just one last question on the trip overall. If there was someone uh, planning a similar trip to yourself throughout Europe, what would what advice would you give them, whether it be where to go or what sort of attitude to take with them or anything like that? Definitely try and buy your tickets as early as you can. The later you buy your tickets, uh, the more expensive they get and try and hit up uh, fan pages. I found getting tickets was, was the best way through Twitter pages or Facebook supporter pages. People often, uh, those season ticket holders are trying to on sell their ticket. You might have to pay a little bit more than, than face value, but uh, people will buy tickets in advance and then realise they can't go to matches, so they're, they're keen to on sell those tickets. Um, definitely wear the home colours of the home team. Um, I had an incident where I was on the train from London to Manchester in the morning of the City United game, and I had my United jersey on thinking it'll be fine to wearing that um, on the train from London to Manchester. I'll just put a jacket on when I get to Manchester. But I actually had a bloke on the train come and uh, discreetly tell me to put a jacket on on the train. So oh, make sure you wear the home colours of the team that is the home uh, the home club that day that's pretty important and um, yeah I just think embrace it try and get there early to matches uh, there, there are times when you get rushed and you sort of don't get to soak it up but um, as much as fun as it is watching the, the players play in the match the uh, getting down uh, pitch side to watch the warm up is also pretty cool and uh, just seeing the players and, and, and the skill they've got mm, for sure well just to continue with the Man United trend I, it's very rare these days you meet a Man United fan who doesn't have an opinion on the current state of the club. So, 
we're, I'm not sure how detailed you look into every sort of uh, play on the pitch, but where do you see Man United as a club? What are your initial thoughts to anything related to Man United? Well, just watching the game yesterday morning, uh, definitely they lack a playmaker. And uh, the whole Paul Pogba situation is just uh, totally bizarre now. That it, it looks like all signs are pointing to him um, leaving the club uh, this January. But looking at central midfield, Scott McTominay is injured. Uh, they had to go in central midfield with Fred and uh, Andreas Pereira, which is pretty skinny if you, if you ask me. Uh, Daniel James on the wing still sort of learning his way. And then Marcus Rashford uh, hardly fired a shot against Arsenal. So I'd love to see them get a, a Christian Eriksen type playmaker in the midfield. I know there's talk that he might go to Real Madrid and, and maybe even uh, in the summer transfer window. But just that, that central midfielder that can... Uh, pull the strings a little bit because I think that's what they're lacking. They've got the firepower up forward. When Martial and, and Rashford are well serviced, I think they can score, but that central midfield is lacking a little bit at the moment. And as much as it pains me to say, having watched Solskjaer score uh, for fun for United, I, I think there's some serious doubts now around him as manager. I, everything you read suggests Pochettino is still in the thoughts of the management and I don't know about what you boys think, but uh, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, the Poch lead United in the next phase. Ooh, that, that's that's big. Um, I, I think we're a couple of United fans here on the podcast as well. Um, I don't know if we should be saying that on air, but um, yeah, you nevertheless, like we do keep very much in touch with United. Um, just just a bit of a question on that Ericsson sort of trend. If you had a pick of a bunch from players in the Premier League this season, who you could bring to United in January or in the winter transfer window, who would that be? Because I know Damon and I uh, and Sammy as well have all sort of agreed that if anyone, it would probably, one of the first choices would be the likes of James Madison, James Madison from Leicester. Um, so I guess who's on your picking, like who's on your shopping list? Yeah, he'd, he'd be up there for sure. A goal scorer midfielder that can, can push forward and he scored a pearler uh, the other night, uh, James Madison. The mm. other one that uh, was on United's books a couple of years ago that I saw live and I thought was a fantastic player and um, probably one of the best players I saw live in Europe was Wilfred Zaha, played for oh. Crystal Palace. Nice. Um, I, I reckon he's a, he's a star and you could put him on the left wing and uh, to run at defenders like he does, I think that'd be pretty cool. So maybe a... Maybe a star wingman, and then maybe a, a, a midfielder that scores, like a, a Madison or a uh, or a Christian Eriksen, someone that can uh, that pull the strings in the midfield. Yeah, for sure. I'd also look at um, Kai Havertz from Bayer Leverkusen. He's one of my favourites. I think Jack Grealish, if you can pull him away. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a few options for United. Um, looking at a more wider view of the Premier League, obviously you've had first-hand experience over there. Do you, what's the what's the vibe like over in the UK do people uh, think that the league is over do people have certain opinions about teams what was the major things you picked up whilst over there yeah I think people are coming around to the fact that Liverpool have uh, <laughs> got the league well and truly sewn no. up I just don't I, I, I don't, really don't think that it, it really impacts too much the way the, watching games in pubs and, and speaking to a lot of people uh, and the way that the broadcast is structured People sort of tend to only watch their teams. And what we've got here in AFL, um, obviously the matches are spread out over the weekend and, and structured so that you can watch as many games as you want. Uh, over there, quite a lot of the matches 
3 p.m. kickoffs on a Saturday, so it's physically pretty hard to watch every match. And a quick side note to that: I'm not sure if you realise, but there's not on those three o'clock kickoffs on Saturdays. It's actually illegal for them to show them on TV, so it actually forces people to go to the matches and uh, support the lower leagues. So, um, you know, if Liverpool have a big match against Leicester on a Saturday afternoon at, at 3 p.m., you actually can't watch that in a pub anywhere. You can't watch that on your TV at home unless you you get involved in one of those uh, illegal streams. So I think it's great um, for the growth of the, the whole sport. And something that really blew me away as well is how big the championship is over there. I know we here in Australia tend to focus on the top flight and quite a bit, but Leeds are getting quite a bit of momentum over there, and I reckon it'd be great to see them come into the Premier League next year. They'll uh, they'll bring quite a following with them, I reckon. Well, our last guest, Richard Bayless, um, the director of sport at Optus Sport, is a has been a huge Leeds fan for probably twenty odd years now, and he he had the opportunity to go to Ellen Road, and he told us about the experience, and he said it was an experience. Like no other, the atmosphere in the championship is just absolutely next level. Yeah, we probably don't embrace it enough here in Australia just because of the the size of the clubs that play in the league. So just just going back to moving <clears throat> sorry, moving forward with the Premier League, how do you, being a sports journalist in Australia and obviously working very much on the AFL and having to keep up to date with that, how do you follow the games when you're back in Australia and how do you, do you get up for them? Do you record them? Where, how do you find time to keep so up to date with the Premier League? Yeah, I was pretty shattered when uh, Fox Sports lost the rights. I reckon it was so easy, and I know Optus is easy in itself, but being able to watch those 11 uh, p.m. midnight kickoffs with mates on the TV, um, more people have Fox Tell than they do Optus Sports. I reckon that was uh, pretty important for Australian fans. When, when Fox Sports uh, lost the rights, I don't know about you boys, but I, I felt that it sort of dropped off a little bit, yeah. but maybe people are coming around to, to Optus Sports a bit more now. Um, I actually listen to a daily podcast, the BBC Daily. They have uh, quite a few experts on there, different journalists, and, and find that that's a good way to, to get insight into the EPL. It's about a 30-minute podcast um, each day, and yeah. they record it each night, so it's available for the morning commute, I guess, in London and, and for, for the UK, so that when they wake up 6, 7 a.m., the podcast is there, and uh, I try to watch those games in the early, sorry, in the early evening, so the 11 p.m., 12 a.m. kickoffs, or the, the 6 a.m., 7 a.m. jobs, but those 3, 3 a.m. kickoffs are quite tough if you got work, so I try and watch the Optus Sports mini-match, yeah, the 20-minute nice. match they, they put together, and I found that's, that's pretty insightful, and you don't miss too much on that. Oh, just on like how you, uh, you know, sort of go about trying to watch as much Premier League as possible in the AFL system, whether it be player, media, coaches, is obviously you hear the likes of Adam Trelaw and Scott Pendlebury talk a lot about the NBA and their love for that. But is there a lot of love for the Premier League in the AFL, or is it um, such a difficult industry that you know, they sort of stick to the one sport? Yeah, it's a good point, and you see the, the guys tweeting and putting up Instagrams about uh, NBA quite a bit, as you say, and, and the NFL, you know, your Josh Jenkins, your Tom Lynch from Adelaide, they're, they're massive into the the NFL. Maybe the, the NBA is a bit more sexy now than the EPL with the superstars uh, that they've got. That's something the NBA definitely do better as they... Well, it's a five-sided, uh, five-player team competition anyway, so the superstars are going to be more pronounced than than the EPL. But maybe it is that time zone that, that hurts the EPL 
a little bit because it's a good point you guys make. There's not so many guys um, that, that sort of support the EPL in a big way that you see on, on social media. Um, maybe Stephen Canelio, Toby Green, those boys. <laughs> the boys. Uh, <laughs> talking about their, uh, their love for the, for, the, for the round ball. But um, outside of that, uh, it's pretty skinny. Yeah, of course. I think uh, Ivan Marich is probably one, obviously not in the AFL system or player-wise anymore, but I know he is uh, big in the St. Albans soccer but club. he definitely doesn't advertise it like the other boys do. Yeah, that's for sure. I, I don't think he's gone on a world trip. I think Stephen Cornelio was actually at Old Trafford maybe about 12 months ago now to watch the Juventus game. Obviously, he does the yeah, Dear celebration after yeah. every goal. So we know he loves the, the round ball, as you said, Mitch. But other than that, yeah, not too much on social media. Um, we just like want to wrap this one up with a few quirky little questions we like to ask our guests. Um, I'll start with just one. If you had to, or if you got the opportunity to have a sit down dinner with any current Premier League player, who would you pick and why? And what, what sort of questions would you ask? Um, that's a very good question. Uh, Marcus Rashford, I reckon, just the, the weight on his shoulders. At Bean. the moment, Bean. and how he's leading the line for one of the biggest clubs in Europe. I know United are struggling a little bit now, but it's hard to knock saying that they're still one of the top, you know, let's say top ten clubs in Europe. And I think the way he's handling that has been sensational. Uh, I love following him on social media. It seems like he he does quite a bit for the community as well. Mm. And then you throw in his uh, commitments for, for England as well. There's quite a quite a weight on that man's shoulders at the age of. 21 or uh, whatever he is now so he'd be pr- probably first in the queue uh, I guess the next one we couldn't really do an interview with anyone without asking who would be in your EPL 5 a side team so David De Gea and goals <laughs> yeah, no, they, they don't take corners in 5 a side yeah. so it's all good <laughs> That's it. That's five. Oh, yeah, that is five. Van Dyke, Ericsson, Zaha, Rashford. Yep, that's That's five. five. That's five. Lock that in. All right. That's slick. I like that. Bit of pace. Very slick. (laughs) Mitch, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure to get someone such as yourself on the show. We do love interviewing as many people as we can. So it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you enjoyed your time on the show. Thanks a lot, boys. Appreciate having me. Cheers, Mitch. Thank you. Wow. So how's that for a summer then? Yeah. Manchester Derby. He must have loved it. He must have absolutely yeah. had a ball. I, I, I Can't know. Even, even on off air when we were talking to him earlier today in the build-up, or actually like after and before, it was almost like a um, he was saying stuff and then apologising for not saying it on, on air. So he yeah. must have had so much stuff just in his mind. And you know, as you can understand, he must have just like soaking been, up so much every day. His brain would have been buzzing, mate. Yeah. brain would have been buzzing. Yeah, to see, that, to see that Manchester Derby as a United supporter... Would have been an experience like no Especially other. Especially away sure. away from home. Yeah, against probably two to win. Biggest wearing, rivals wearing, other than Liverpool. Wearing the vintage uh, United jersey it was just something special. Yeah, for him, no, no doubt. Yeah. All right, Woody, 
we're going to wrap this up, but if people want to find your brilliant, brilliant work <laughs> on the Instagram, where can they find it? You can find us on Insta at Premier League Nightclub. Or you can find us on the Twitter at PL Nightclub. And Sam, um, can you, should Snapchat's we start? Snapchat's canned. Are you canning Snapchat? Do you want to start TikTok then? No. Yeah, let's do a TikTok. All right. I'm mo- big on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> of course. I mean, if anyone's going to be big on TikTok here, it was going to be you. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm a noob. Mate. You would, you gonna, be, you be, I'm would basically you... a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> <laughs> mate, we're pretty gender fluid here. At the are you on, so are you on Gossip seven. Girl for the fourth season? For Fourth time? No, I finished it Finished it on the plane. So was that three no, times? No, I set two times. Oh, sorry, sorry mate. All right, sorry. let's stop with this Don't hate me, mate. rubbish talk. Best TV show. Mate, I've seen it as well, though. Alrighty, and also to anyone listening, uh, obviously everybody listens to our podcast on differing platforms, but if you could really chuck us a subscribe or follow whatever the platform is, it'd really help us a lot. It helps us grow, and obviously as we grow, we can do start doing competitions. Uh, Get cooler more, guests. Yeah, yeah, cooler guests. If you oh, if that's you, a pretty cool guest on. Yeah, if that is true. But if you want to comment on the socials as well, which we just you know told you where you can find them. You know, every chance you'll get a call out or you know shout out on the pod. So we're always looking to get our listeners involved and more listeners involved. So I'm other than that, I'm happy to say goodbye to everybody. I hope you had a great start to the year, Woody. Goodbye. Enjoy your trip. I hope you Thank have an you. absolute blast. Hopefully yes. we can talk to you at some point. If not, when you get back, keen to hear all about it. Have very, a good one, mate. Very keen. I'm actually a bit shattered because this is the first podcast. It's going to be the first podcast I've missed. Yes, I've, been, I've been the mainstay, <laughs> the anchor. This is true. The the one with Sam, that. we've got to hold up the fort for yeah, a couple of that's weeks. That's going to be fun, isn't it, It's going to be an absolute ball. Yeah, all right, every, everybody, have a great start to your year. I'm, I'm out. Ciao. Whoop. Is it time for a new heating and cooling system? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services and Carrier today and get 0% financing for 18 months on a new heating and cooling system. Get the comfort you deserve from Griffith Energy Services and Carrier. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today for this and other exclusive offers. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone dependable. This podcast is brought to you by Progressive. Are you thinking more about how to tighten up your budget these days? Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save over $700 on average, and customers can qualify for an average of six discounts when they sign up. A little off your rate each month goes a long way. Get a quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customers surveyed in 2020. Potential savings will vary. Discounts vary and are not available in all states and situations. Sports Social Podcast Network.